it was a mess. <laughs> like, it was a a hot mess. Nah, this got to be fixed. Like, this is not normal. Like, I couldn't, I was, like, flabbergasted when I got there that there weren't even photographers in the WNBA tunnels. I remember that, too. And I was told that it was because the players don't like to get dressed up. They like to be casual and wear sweats. Then I have a conversation with the players. They're like, no, we don't dress up because nobody's there to take pictures of. What we waste the pitch for if nobody's there to catch it. Ball players, what's going on? It's your boy Arden here bringing you into a new episode of the Ball Players Podcast where we connect with special guests from basketball to talk about their life and career within the game as well as everything within the culture. And I'm really excited about today's episode because I think from the first time we met recently, but for us, literally in the same building, right. same company, I was like, oh, this is lit. Good energy, good person, great conversations about the dub. Oh, thank and you. then find out I'm talking to somebody that was responsible for engineering one of the popping moments and everything else from the WNBA that I really enjoyed with literally a piece of merch and, <laughs> and, and, and everything beyond. And seriously, we're talking about a guest who really want to talk sports influencer pop culture and beyond they're really smart and versatile mind uh very determined very focused and i get to have the opportunity to see them up close doing what they do in terms of everything that's influencer based it doesn't matter the scenery they're holding it down and they're doing what they do and i'm excited to have them on the ball players podcast ev jones what's hey, up hey i ain't never got an intro like that before so thank you no problem i try <laughs> i try for our guests it's only right it's truly an honor thank you how you feeling I'm good. Like, um, well, yeah, definitely the the sentiment is mutual. It's definitely great. Um, connecting with you, 1.37 p.m., our, our, our sister uh, publication, because um, I kind of missed, like, being just influencer now. Like, I've been working in music sports my entire career, and this is the first time I step outside of that and work on, like, a lot of CPG stuff and all those stuff or whatever. So it's good to have, like, a a brother sister company that's like my normal vertical that's like right down the hallway mm -hmm. um and just your coverage of the w like when it wasn't cool to cover the w like now everybody wants to cover the yeah. w but your history of you you covering it before it was even the orange hoodie and, and all of that stuff so appreciate you too for your dedication to the women's game as well so thank you like minds like mine yeah like minds I'm, I'm excited now. i'm excited <laughs> and there's definitely gonna be some more talks you know seasons around the corner mm -hmm. and i've been Ball players, y'all know I've been talking heavy <laughs> this year with the Liberty. Oh my goodness, it's I'm, gonna be I'm crazy. talking it's, heavy. It's gonna be crazy. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I am definitely looking forward to it. Like if you don't got season tickets yet, you need to get them for the Liberty. New York City about to be hot all summer. So. That's a fact. I don't gotta <laughs> worry. Media credentials, <laughs> we good over here, baby. I don't, I don't pay for a game at all. Uh, to get into this show, right, we have a reoccurring question that we ask at the top of each episode that I love asking our special guests. For you, what made you fall in love with basketball? Um, so really what made me fall in love with basketball, which is a thing that I feel like is going to elevate the W, is really the lifestyle and the culture around the game. So I grew up a football fanatic. My, uh, my family runs track. All the men in my family play football. My grandmother has season tickets to the Buffalo Bills. Like it's Jeez. like come like we come out of the womb like football fandom. So um the how I got into basketball was more about the lifestyle around basketball and the fashion. So my dad was a fitted 
whore to say the, to say the <laughs> least. Every fitted fit possible. Like he had Georgetown, he had Syracuse, mm-hmm. he had Miami Hurricanes, mm-hmm. he had Carolina. Like I was just like, what are all these teams? Because they weren't football. Like girl, I was like, what are these teams? Like it's college basketball. It's college basketball. Like you don't know. Like he would tell like talk about all the players and the people. So that was like my first introduction. Um, because like growing up, like I said, we're a football family, and I only had cousins that were guys that were my age and older. So mm-hmm. I'm used to like playing in the street, playing flag football. Mm-hmm. We never had no like basketball courts near near where I was in Rochester, New York. So um, once I like got into the fashion and the culture, and then like the things that were going around around the league, because it was just so much drama and like storylines, like with the AI and like yep. I'm going to practice, yep. and like so it was just so many stories around the game that I was like, I need to tune in to figure out why these people are in the news for like all these crazy things that were outside of basketball. And I think like that's what's really missing with the W. I feel like they're trying to market it as basketball not realizing what skyrocketed the NBA to what it is was the culture around the game. So to me it's about the storytelling around these women and getting like all that off court stuff, the fashion, the mom, the entrepreneurship, the drama sometimes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course. Like like sometimes that's what's going to get people interested in the story and the players and obviously they will gravitate towards the game because they're a fan of who that person is off off court. So yeah. That leads me to this next question because with you given that breakdown, right? It had me going down memory lane of like those sports center days, seeing about AI, watching shows like with the reporters and young Stephen A and all of that stuff. For you, what was a moment when you were watching and consuming sports through journalism that you remember was like, oh snap, like this is a big story. Like why are they covering this way? What was like one of those ones that like really caught your attention? To me, when it comes to the women's game, I think it was that first USA women's team because mm-hmm. there was so much, like, obviously we didn't have the W at that time. Not at all. It was our first time, really, like, I remember being a kid and was like, oh, crap, like, it's women playing basketball. And this the, is 96? For, yes, 96. Atlanta, Atlanta mm-hmm. Olympics, yep. So I'm just like, and now that the documentary came out and actually, like, being able to remember, like, mm-hmm. being a kid and, like, seeing the story behind it, I feel like that was, like, the moment for me because we didn't have, like, that. Like, I wasn't watching college basketball when I was, mm-hmm. like, a, a kid. So, mm-hmm. it, like, the, the the introduction I had to it was my dad and them fitted. So I was not into it watching it. So I didn't see these women play. So didn't even know that it was a possibility on that level. And then seeing them play for the country, like it was like, and then you already knew, like you you knew like the Cheryl Swoops. You knew about the the Cynthia Coopers. The Cynthia Coopers. Yeah. You knew about Don the and- like everybody. But it was like you like you you knew they were there, but like you didn't see that like yeah. it wasn't like always on your TV. So the fact that they put so much marketing behind that team and you got to like see them win for our country like to me I remember that as a kid like it was yes like I was like oh Cheryl Swoops is like the hottest thing ever like I want to be like Cheryl Swoops so it was like um actually and like I was a like that's probably when I first like tried to play basketball too and not my forte. Like, I can mm. shoot all day. Wait, so, yeah, I, about to I say, have, yeah, describe your game. I can shoot all describe day. Describe your game. I have like. no handles at all. I can't dribble to shave my life. If I can stand there and shoot, I'm making a basket all day. The handle thing, I was like, this is not my thing. Let me stick to track. I was a track star, so I stick to that. Also did volleyball. Mm-hmm. But that was like, and I was inherent, like, always an athlete, so everything came natural to me. Yeah. So that's that, what made me fall more in love with the game, too, as I got, like, in high school. Because I was like, this is one game that, that, that Thing that I'm not good at. So like now I have to watch it because I'm a namer that like I can't dribble. Like like 
through the legs and all this. I'm like, how are they doing that? Like, this is like, I just obviously don't have enough hand-eye coordination. <laughs> Let me just stick to the track and stick to volleyball because this basketball stuff, like, I can't do all of that. So that made me fall in love with the game, too, as well, because it was, like, something that I didn't feel like I could do as somebody that, like, everything, like, sports-wise came natural to me. Like, I was just like, how can I do this? walk with the with the ball between my legs like how can I do this why can't I do this and I just gave up I was like yeah this is stupid (laughs) (laughs) I I, I remember I don't think I was until like 13 or 14 until I started learning how to dribble between the legs that's because all I did was watch and one mixtapes at this point (laughs) so that's what I'm saying the culture around the game like that stuff made like that was even at that point when M one was popping. It was cooler than the NBA at oh, that time. Oh, of course. Like ever, like you would literally go kids to get look the at me crazy store. when I say that. Like, you would go like, to the bootleg store to get the N one VHS tapes and watch it. Hot sauce things, so. was a lot of our Michael Jordan, like <laughs> hot sauce exactly. professor A O. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just imagine if social media was around that time. Like it's it's cr- it's crazy. It's crazy. That doc was really good too. Like just learning the because I did not know that people of color were not behind N one. Oh, I was like, mm-hmm. wait, what? Shout out to Seth Free for representing. (laughs) Shout out to Seth Free for only representing. Like as kids, we just it's so much about the business that we don't learn until later in life. But yeah, that 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 was a a good time too for for basketball and elevating the culture around basketball as well. Bringing all of your sports history together, athlete, player, fan, and then you start actually working in the sports industry through marketing and branding. What was your earliest memories of that? Where were you at? What were you doing? Like how did that come together? Yeah. So my first job um, in sports was at ESPN. Fire. Um, I. It's crazy because the dream was always to work in music. Sports, like I love sports, diehard sports. Like I said, I played sports, but never wanted to work in sports. It just was like something you do on the side, help you get a scholarship for college. Like it was like, but music was always the thing. I wanted to be like the fe- the female, like Hype Williams. I was like, I'm be the biggest female music video director. Da da da. Um, and then, um, so, and so I wanted to go to NYU, like Spike Lee, I was like, I'm going mm. to NYU, did not get into NYU for undergrad. Um, so I was like, I was like, what? And I did a black college tour, I'm repping for my Aggies mm-hmm. right now. Um, and loved A&T's campus when I went and visited. Um, so turned down a track scholarship at Florida State and went to a black college, went to A&T. And in North Carolina, there's not that many like places to intern, like in mm-hmm. the film world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I interned at a radio station, ended up falling in love with like the radio side and the A&R side and like how rec- records get played on radio and all of that. So um, that was like the job. I was like, go to school in North Carolina. I'm coming back to New York City and I'm going to work in the music industry. And that's literally what I did. I had a, a job at a VH1 at the time doing um, television. And I was supposed to get promoted for a role. And they like let some because I worked all through college. Like I interned at the radio station my freshman year, was the assistant to the music director by sophomore year, was on air the end of sophomore year. So I like I was working. So I had years of experience mm-hmm. when I graduated from college. So I'm when I moved to New York and like was in this little program, they had this program, associate program where like every three months you would be in a different department. So at the end of the program, if you did really well, you got a job. Nice. And so at the end of the program, they had already like I already got recommended for this talent producer position at VH1. I was gonna be booking all the music acts for the, the VH1 shows, da da da. And they ended up giving the job to some one of the like senior vice presidents, like nephew, fresh out of college, of course, or whatever. Of course. So I'm like, 
we could cuss on this, right? Yeah. Okay, I was like, the fuck? Like, <laughs> right? so, so, and at the same time, which is so crazy to me, um, one of the head HR people was an A&T grad. Mm. And we're looking for A&T grads in New York City for this new division of ESPN called ESPN Mobile. And it was gonna be creating content for ESPN Mobile, mm-hmm. which y'all don't realize, like, cause like it's the new age people. Back in when did I start there? In nineteen? No, nineteen. I was freaking out. Two thousand five. Yeah, I was there from two thousand five to two thousand eight. In two thousand five, people were just starting to watch video on their phone. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So like, people did not have data plans. Mm-hmm. Like, so I was producing when I was at ESPN. I was producing like fifteen second clips for people to watch on their phones of like highlights <laughs> and stuff like that. So. Um, the dude who was in HR was an anti grad, reached out on LinkedIn or whatever, and was like, Hey, are you looking for a, a new role? We got this new department at ESPN. Mind you, this is before I found out I didn't get the, the job at VH1. Mm. So I was like, No, like I turned it, I was like, No, I'm at I'm in MTV building. Like that's when MTV was popping. Music course, central. Yeah. Like if you want to be a music, you work that yeah, you Daily, work, yes, like all making that was the band and all that. Um and so he reached out, and I was like, no. I was like, yeah, I, I know sports. I love sports. No, I'm in the music house. I want to stay in music. And because of that, not getting that job, I called him. I said, y'all still looking for somebody? And he said, yeah, like, John would love to meet with you. Da, 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 da. She loved your resume. So, um, so I met with them, absolutely loved them. And then I had just got accepted to grad school at NYU because I had a vendetta with them. I was like, I'm smart enough to get your school. So it was the only grad school I applied to because like, y'all ain't let me in for undergrad. Full circle moment. I was like, I'm getting it. So I, I literally only applied there for the only grad school I applied to at NYU, got into their graduate music business program. And ESPN, MTV definitely wasn't going to pay for part of my grad school. ESPN was going to pay for part of my grad school. So I interviewed with them, loved them. Um, they loved me, got the offer. And it was like, mind you, I was just consulting or like freelancing for MTV at the time. This was a full-time job with benefits and you paying for part of my grad mm-hmm. school that I'm going to be paying Done for deal. to my dad because NYU is expensive as hell. Done deal. So I left not even wanting to work in sports. I just was like, I know sports and I like sports, so whatever, we're going to figure it out till I finish grad school and it's whatever. Um, and literally would have still been there to this day. I love my job so much. But um, in 2008, well, basically... ESPN Mobile, for those that don't know, was basically its own service. So it's not just, like, now we got apps, which if it came out now, it probably wouldn't be successful. But back then, it was its own service. So, like, we were competing with, like, Sprint and Verizon yep. and Cricket or whatever. Yep. And it was, like, the people, all the biz dev people and stuff that came up with the idea, the phone was immaculate. Like, it was amazing. You got all your stats. You got all, like, it was a great phone. But who is going to, like, what sports fans are canceling their plans from Verizon or whoever to switch to ESPN Mobile to have this phone that's all sports. Mm-hmm. People weren't converting. Like, that's not what people were doing. Mm-hmm. So it was a hard sell to get people into that. But thankfully, by the time, like, so we went under after, like, two years, and then they sold the technology to Verizon. So that was, like, the first era of apps because mm-hmm. you could only get the ESPN Mobile information on Verizon as an app. So that, that was, like, the first version. So me just being a part of, like, that digital trend was just, like, eye-opening and, and helped, like, my digital career going, like, forward. But um, – and that was also my first introduction to, like, ambassador marketing stuff, which led to now. So every um, ESPN phone, like, I did all of our seating. 
So, like, every time a, a team came in town to play the Knicks, because the Nets wasn't there yet, came in town to play the Knicks, I would go into the locker room, gift all the players the phone, show them how to use it. They literally were, like, getting getting fined because they were, like, halftime going in the phone looking Just at checking their, their stats. stats like, yeah. So, it was crazy. It was a crazy Damn, time. I'm three for nine. So- I got to step it up, my boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I still got both of those phones, too. We had two versions, a Razor version and a Samsung version. I still got both of them. Hopefully, they, I can auction them off, like, a million dollars because they're still in a brand new original package of everything. Mm-hmm. I, when we went under, I saved two options because I was like, this is going to be auctioned off. Like, There's somebody out there willing to pay. Yes. There's always somebody, somebody out there willing to spend. Somebody, please reach out because I got both versions. And it's so and it's They're so going cool. for a milli. <laughs> and it's so crazy you say that because before going to this next question, it was like, again, I think back to like the mid-2000s. I remember for me seeing for the first time that technology was like, hey, you can watch games. You mm-hmm. can get play-by-play. And I remember seeing it on one of my uncle's Blackberry, just being like, yo, we in church all day. I, I need to see Peyton Manning go to work. Like, uncle would just give me the Blackberry with the side scroll, and I'd just be like, all right, bet. This, yeah. is, this was it. So, like, that's literally a legendary moment. And I want to get to this next question, Ev, in terms of, like, seeing the evolution of sports marketing, sports technology to where now everybody is so connected and it's natural. It's to the point where it's like, yeah, as a fan – you should be able to check this. As a player, you should be able to check that. Would it be – well, actually, let me rephrase that. Should it be a surprise to the average sports fan that this evolution over, let's say, the last 15 years has happened or not really? Um, I think it should be a surprise for everyone just because it's digital. Like, everything has changed. It's not just in the sports industry. Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't have Instagram 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't have TikTok seven years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like – so everything is evolved. I think it's just – I think it's just right now we're in a time where you get left behind if you don't keep up. Like back in like the 90s, like you could still be chill like with your like, like I remember my girl, it took forever for my grandma to get rid of her like f- the floor, like TVs and get a flat screen. Yeah. Like because she wanted her big box TV that mm-hmm. sat on the floor. So but now like you have to keep up with the times. Like but like back then you had the option to like if I still like my analog, the way I like to get my scores the same way or whatever, you had the option. Now you don't have the option. Everything is digital. So you have to keep up with the times and um, and that's a big part of what keeps sports growing as well, too. It's like like a lot of platforms that didn't early adapt to – a lot of sports leagues that didn't early adapt to distribution through streaming platforms are, like, hurting now. But now everybody is, like, trying to get a deal with Amazon now yeah. for Thursday Night Football. Now it's us or trying to get Hulu Live Sports, like, all mm-hmm. of that. So it's always going to be, like, digital like – the train is going to keep coming. There's always going to be a new thing that um, athletes, players – um, leagues, everybody, like marketing people, distribution channels, always going to have to keep up with because you have to go where the fans are. And um, if you're not there, that's what is like lowering viewership right now because yeah. these Gen Z people, they don't have cable. They don't. They don't have cable. I sure don't. They pay their little <laughs> couple little streaming networks and that is. So if you're not where they are, you're like missing out on audiences that you could potentially have because you're not meeting them where they are. So That's facts. It's either... I pay for a stream or somebody going to give me the link. <laughs> somebody going to give me the link And it's up. so crazy now how you can't even find, like, them little, like, line wire links no more. Like, I remember you used to be, oh, that BNB, got... <laughs> used to be able to find a link to, like, the BET Awards without hey, cable. Hey, so you listen, can't even find I, that stuff no more. I'm I like, got... where are those? And you would go through, like, ten links trying to find one that didn't have ads or didn't have the, like, hey, bootleg stuff. Now, I, like... I, got, I, got my, I got my old reliable. <laughs> 
holding me down. Hey, I want to watch Game 7. Watch Game 7. I'm going to watch Jake Paul. I'm going to watch Jake Paul. I'm going to keep going back to them links, and I'm going to keep clicking out of them ads if I have to. <laughs> I ain't getting no disease on my damn computer. <laughs> I'm going to rock out. I'm not paying no bread. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not paying no bread, bro. That's the mindset. Like, they used to everything being free. They're not going to pay for nothing. By so. any means. I got, I'm going to get mine. <laughs> for sure. And to get to this next topic, right, something that I've been waiting for, the W. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you having your career with the W. And first, let's get to this first part, right? When you entered your working relationship with the WNBA, what was your initial title? My initial title was Content and Influencer Strategy. Okay. And when was this? This was 2019 to 2020. So a year and a half. It was a year and a half. For you at the time, right, when you entered the WNBA in your position, how would you describe what was its position in – just the sports media landscape, including social awareness, having no standout moments or things. How would you describe what was its positioning at that time in like 2019? Um, it was a mess. <laughs> it was a, a hot mess. Um, so I basically was brought in to basically make the league cool again. Mm-hmm. Um, that was literally like in the interview process, that was literally like what they said, make the league cool again and better the relationship between the league and the players. Mm Because the league, the players could not stand the league at that time. Mm -hmm. Like, it was like pulling teeth to get our marquee players to come do content for for the league. I and, remember. And I, understand, and I understood why. Like, if you come on set and everything is corny or, like, the questions are, like, corny, you don't want to talk about it, or you come on set in a league that's 80% women, it's people that don't know how to do makeup for women of color. Like, so I understood it, like, why they were, like, so, like, standoffish with the league and, and everything that was going on at that time. Um and then there, there was just no culture. Like, the entire feed on Instagram was all highlights. Like, if we have if, – if basketball is not what's going to get fans into the seats, then why is our social media only basketball? Mm. That's a fact. I don't understand. What problem are you fixing? What what like what how are you engaging people? Um, like I couldn't I was like flabbergasted when I got there that there weren't even photographers in the WNBA tunnels. Mm-hmm. I remember that too. And I was told that it was because the players don't like to get dressed up; they like to be casual and wear sweats. Then I have a conversation with the players. They're like, "No, we don't dress up because nobody's there to take pictures of. Mm-hmm. What we wasting fits for if nobody's there to catch it?" That's a fact. So that was one of the first things I did was like hit our head of photography at the NBA. They didn't want to finance it, so it was literally talking to all the COOs at um, each of the teams and like, hey, can y'all get a local photographer to get that? Send us the photos in this folder. Like, I would send them folders every week, upload y'all arrival photos. We'll distribute them on, on, the, um, on the WNBA handles. So that was the first thing I did was, like, launch WNBA Slay. Then it was, like, in the media day. I figure out on the media days, like, they only always had the players in their uniforms. Mm-hmm. Second thing I changed, I was like, no, we get stylists in there. We want lifestyle photos of them. So we did a tour, went to every one of the markets and got lifestyle photos of the players off the court, outside of the the arenas and stuff, like in the streets of whatever yep. their cities and outside of that to get lifestyle photos of them. Because I was like, they literally have no lifestyle photos. That's a fact. How are we marketing this league when every picture of, the, of all these amazing athletes is them in their jersey? It's so funny because, like, I literally remember this. Like, again, yes, like, like, literally, because ball players, some of you may or may not know, like, have a career being a journalist. So, like, the first league to give me a chance to cover the action was the WNBA. I'm talking 2016. Mm -hmm. So, it's like, I remember just, it was so different. It was like, there wasn't, 
the extra effort to show off the lifestyle and the other sides of them. I remember being able to like go in the locker room and it was like the players wasn't even sure if folks wanted to talk to them. Mm-hmm. And it would be some of the greatest players in the world. And it's like, you know you one of the goats, right? Like, of course I want to talk to your ass. Like you just dropped 40. Like you don't think it's so it's just crazy. Again, keep going because like yeah. it really brings me back to memory lane. I'm like, Nah, this got to be fixed. Like, yeah. this is not normal. It was, Yeah, it was terrible when I got there. Like, that first month, I just did a social audit. Like, it, w- it was just bad. Like, um, like there was there was really no content team that was strictly for the W. We had borrowed resources that was the NBA team that, like, if, like to me, this felt like they was punished. Like, in the summer, okay, we work on the NBA all year, and in the summer, these people got to work on the W for a couple months. Like, it never it, like it, it never seemed like I was working with people that were passionate about it as much as I was that I needed to be passionate about it because I it, I was a one-woman show. I didn't have a production team. I couldn't just go out and shoot whenever I wanted to. So it was all, like, NBA people that I had to, like, refer to anytime I wanted to shoot anything. So, gratefully, our head of marketing – um, put budget towards us, like doing that content tour, going to each market through our through our marketing agency at the time, um, and we were able to like make some dope stuff happen. So, um, so yeah, like and and then it, it was just it was in the right timing too because um, we were launching, we were rebranding, like a new full new logo, everything. So it just mm. made sense that like the momentum behind that logo had to be followed up with not just a logo change. Like if we're gonna do a full overhaul of this league, it has to be content. It has to be lifestyle stuff it has to be off-court stuff it has to be more bright cut like standing out like the creative director roman like is amazing that first draft that year like at nike studios Mm -hmm. like people walked in and was like this is a whole new draft like what the hell is this because it was this magenta bright orange color like all this the new logo like it was just so super dope that um what we were able to do in such a short amount of time like me and roman got hired on the same day the creative director um and it was the first week in february and the draft was the second week in April. April. Mm-hmm. We did all of that in two months. None of that stuff was in line when we got there the first week of February. So just imagine, like, what like like what wasn't being done if two people of color could come in and in two months flip it that quick. Mm-hmm. Just imagine, like, what what just was just and mind you like we couldn't even do it the way we wanted to because again time was not on our side and money was not on our side so just imagine if they like that little bit of resources that we had what we were able to do and just imagine if um we were just able to do more like even with all started that year in vegas like i can't even tell you the story that i had the story that it took to get Tiana Taylor. Cause I was like, they, they had a whole bunch of like old country singers. They wanted to perform at halftime. I said, not on my watch. <laughs> I said, we, we are working on momentum here. We got a full rebrand going. Like the league is popping right now. We looking cool. Like we're on the, there's no way we're doing an old country singer at halftime in Vegas. There's no way. So it was tooth and nail to get Tiana Taylor, to get them approved Tiana Taylor, which ended up being amazing. Mm-hmm. Like all the players are like, this shit is hot. Like they wanted to be at all the events. Like, so yeah, it's just it's really just about people of the culture and that understand the culture being the decision makers at the league because um, that's what's going to push the, the league forward is th- those type of things and those type of moments to get people talking about the culture around the women's game um, is going to get what's, what's going to get people in them seats and get them like invested in the players. So a mm-hmm. couple more questions I got for you. The orange hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> Being able to be a part of that in terms of what you were able to do mm-hmm. and then seeing its success to where everybody in the basketball world rocking a hoodie, loving the orange, 
What was your biggest lesson learned from that moment, considering the fact that four years later, mm-hmm. still relevant and still going strong? Um, it's it's not really a lesson for me, but a, just a lesson for uh, marketers, distributors, um, licensees, is that the W does sell. Like, I was got given so much pushback from internal people and external people, partners, that uh, like, oh, we can't put the orange hoodie on the front page of the WNBA store because the the, uh, the of fanatics because the W doesn't sell, or we can't put like the marketing dollars. Let's not do that. Let's not do no seeding campaign because the W doesn't sell. So what's the point? Like I had a million people that's supposed to be on my side helping push this league forward, telling me, oh, don't bother with that because the W doesn't sell anyway. Like we should use marketing dollars for something else. Don't buy a whole bunch of merch and seed it to people because the W doesn't sell anyway. And so, for you, what made the hoodie? be like that's it so it was <laughs> so it was it was a struggle for me internally too because number one so I came into <laughs> I came into the league knowing merch was an issue like I was like it was still pink bedazzled stuff like what I'm like this is 2019 why is bedazzled stuff on this website it was like the most outdated mess I've ever seen in my life like it's the reason why the majority of season ticket holders for the W were like senior citizens because that's what the hell they wore was what was on the website so um so when I first came in, I thought I, as a, as a person coming in to make the league cool, was going to be able to be able to decide on the merch. I was like, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're gonna, this going to be fly as hell. And they were like, oh, no, we don't do merch here. Like, only the licensee, like Fanatics, they pick whatever they want. They have our silhouettes, and they pick whatever they want to put on the site. I said, oh, no. Like, this, like this. So, literally, we launched in May with the new logo, a whole bunch of stuff we never saw. It was just on the website. I looked on the website the day the stuff launched. Half of the stuff was off-brand. It was ugly. It was just like it was just the opposite of what we were trying to make our rebrand for. So I went through and found three pieces that I actually liked, and one of them was that orange hoodie. And I went, I literally like removed the orange hoodie and was just gonna go with the other two because I was like, it's a summer sport. Who wearing a hoodie in the summer? Mm. I was like, I was like, mm. but it was the, the other two were like, well, I think one was like gray and then one was like black. And, but I was like, this color is po- I was like, this color is popping. I kept coming back to it. And I finally just pulled the trigger. I was like, we're gonna do so I was like, we're gonna do the so I did all three items I gifted to the players, but I was like, the orange hoodie is gonna be our staple item because it's just bright and it was just the just the logo playing. Like it wasn't like so you know what this symbol is. It didn't say WNBA under it. It was just like this is just plain. And you know, a lot of kids come to um WNBA games. That was one of the only items that had kid sizes, all the way men's and women's. So I wanted to make sure I was marketing something that people could actually purchase. So that's it literally was like by default that that ended up being an option just because there was not that many options that I felt was cool mm-hmm. enough to be putting marketing dollars behind. So Ab, so for the last question, mm-hmm. right, at the beginning I asked you what made you fall in love with the game. Mm-hmm. Last question is what keeps you in love with the game? Um, What keeps me in love with the game is that it's ever evolving. Like if we, especially the women's game, like I feel like um, – there's so many untold stories. There's so like I feel like what keeps me in love with the game is that like I at, I'm at the point in my life where I grew up with it, and now like the nostalgia plays come in. So like all these documentaries that are coming out, like the like it takes you back to that place, and then learning the business be- behind it at that point makes you smarter now. Like 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 and it also to me is a 
sounding board for people to take the W more seriously at this point because it's like the movie that's coming out about about Nike signing yeah. uh, signing Jordan, yep. taking a chance on him. Like things like that need to be told because people don't like people don't realize that like the the NBA was not always what it is today. Yeah, absolutely, it wasn't. was not as popular. It took the culture around the game and the fashion around the game and the shoes and the lifestyle, like all that stuff, to transcend the game to what the billion dollar business that it is right mm-hmm. now. And I feel like if people use that foundation of the personalities of the league at that time and and really use that to elevate the women's side, they'll see the value in it. Because mm-hmm. it 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 annoys me that like somebody like Nike yep. and Jordan, who both were taking a chance on each other because they both were nothing at that point, that the same is not relevant in the women's game where a where a brand would be like, I'm gonna take a chance on this person. We build this together on the women's side because the men's game was just not too like twenty years ago was not too far away from what the women's game is trying to build mm-hmm. right now. And I feel like because there's a blueprint, it should be easier to elevate the women and elevate the, the women's game because it's coming from the cut from the same but different cloth, right? Um so that's that's what keeps me in love with the game right now is because I'm glad I'm in the era to to number one, have been a part of like my little part of the culture to push the, the league forward and push the players forward, but also know that the sky is the limit for these women and and what could happen. Like I'm I'm gonna be like I know I'm gonna be pleasantly happy ten years from now with where the league is and saying like remember when people were trying to act like the W wasn't cool like mm-hmm. remember that and to see where it is gonna be ten years from now with the right people leading it because. That's a whole nother thing. It's a whole nother thing. That's a whole nother podcast. (laughs) But, Eb, seriously, thank you so much for joining us today. It really means a lot. Like, for real, I had to tap in with one of the OGs, man. Somebody that really helped out with the culture. Wait, OG? I'm not OG yet. Mm -mm, You got a lot of wisdom. You qualify for OG in my book. So, for real, thank you so much. I'll be an OG. I'll take OG title now. Got to. You well deserve. (laughs) Hey, from what I be hearing from you off cam, I know. I know a lot of them players look at you like an OG the same way. No, they do. Like, I I tweeted something the other day. It was so funny. I tweeted something um, the other day, like, um, it was some meme that said, I don't talk to anybody after 19, that was born after 1995 because they can't even write in cursive. <laughs> and it was so funny because JJ texted me after and she was like, girl, I barely made the cut. And I was like, yeah, you did because she turned 28. She was like, I barely made the cut. I was just born then. I was like, so it's funny. I guess I am an OG if I, I know how to write in cursive. So they call us geriatric millennials. You know really? that? Any millennials born in the 80s, they call us geriatric millennials. I just found that out on TikTok. I'm so days. lost in the I was like, yo, this is low-key disrespectful. Titles. Like, I'll, I'll, OG millennial, I was okay with that. But geriatric millennial is a little disrespectful. So they, I'm coming not... some, they coming up with something new every day. I just, <laughs> I decided to tap out. I'm so like... I'm, I'm a, yeah, so if I got to compare between OG and geriatric, I'm going to take OG all day. So And rightfully so. <laughs> Ev, seriously, thank you so much. Ball players, thank y'all for tapping in for a new episode of the Ball Players Podcast. Love is love like usual. Make sure y'all tap in with us on social media all across the board to stay up to date on everything basketball and football. And of course, your curiosity will stay fulfilled by 1.37 p.m. where you can find out everything you need to know about sports, car collectibles, music, fashion, and the whole shebang bang Signing off from the crib. This is your boy Arden signing off. Later.